This is Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz, where you will get the lowdown on Jewish festivals, holidays, rites of passage, observances, and everything else you need to know about living a meaningful Jewish life. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be in your company this afternoon. Yes, this is Rabbi Michael Katz and coming to you live from Joburg. And we are on Judaism 101.9. And of course, that means that we're going to be exploring, as we said in the little blurb there, anything and everything to do with the Chagim, with the festivals, with the calendar, with what's coming up on your Jewish spiritual calendar, the things that you need to know and the things that you may be new and have forgotten. That's what this program is actually all about. And today, perhaps, as a poser right at the beginning, let's ask the question, why is this festival? We are in the middle. Uh, tonight, we already light the fourth night, the fourth candle of Hanukkah. We're already in the middle, going towards the middle of the festival, the middle of this Chag, this beautiful festival, this Chag of Hanukkah. And so the question is, why is this festival different from all other festivals. Yeah, we like to ask that kind of a question. And particularly today, why is the festival of Hanukkah different from all other festivals? And of course, I'm sure many people will come up with many kinds of different answers. First of all, it is a festival and it lasts eight days. It lasts for over a week. And yet on all the days, of course, with the exception of Shabbos, we can drive well and we can light fire. Well, it's part of the Chag, of course. We need to light the candles and we need to light them every night. We couldn't have it that we're being asked to do all of that and then spend a lot of time outdoors, etc., 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 not just because of COVID but because of Hanukkah. Um, <clears throat> kind of doesn't lend itself that well to being days on which we cannot drive and we cannot use light and we cannot use electricity and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, of course, we couldn't play dreidel and we couldn't give Hanukkah guilt, um, all of the important features of Hanukkah. But perhaps let's ask ourselves once again and to think a little bit more deeply into why is this festival, why is the festival of Hanukkah different from all the other festivals? I'll give you one that perhaps right up front you may not know or you may have remembered or forgotten, and that is that you know that all the festivals in the calendar are actually, let's call it, married to certain days of the week. For instance, we know that Rosh Hashanah, uh, the first day of Rosh Hashanah can be on a Monday, it can be on a Tuesday, a Thursday or a Shabbat, but it can never be on a Sunday, a Wednesday or a Friday. So in fact, and we also know that Yom Kippur cannot be on a Sunday or on a Tuesday, or on a Friday, and therefore it kind of gives us the map of the days of the week of all the other Chagim, all the other festivals throughout the calendar. They all work as a block. <coughs> all of the Chagim are dependent on each other for the days of the week on which they occur, and there are only four days open to all the festivals in a particular week. What do we mean by that? It's because if we say that Rosh Hashanah can be on a Monday, a Tuesday, a Thursday, and a Shabbos, that also means that Sukkot can only be on those days, as well as Shmini Atzeret and Simchat Torah. And now, surprise, surprise, if we go all the way back to Pesach, it also works in a grid. 
there is a grid of all the Chagim, starting from Pesach and going all the way through to the end of Simchat Torah, that they are all a certain fixed distance from each other. It stands to reason, if we think about it, Pesach to Shavuot is exactly seven weeks. From Shavuot to Yom Kippur to Rosh Hashanah is exactly 110 days. Um, to Yom Kippur, um, to Yom Kippur, sorry, to Rosh Hashanah is 100 days. And to Yom, and, uh, sorry, I made a mistake. To Rosh Hashanah is 110 days. To Yom Kippur is 120 days, three times 40 days. And of course, then there's four days in between, and then it becomes Sukkot, seven days to Shmini Atzeret, and so on. The entire system of the Chagim in the, of the festivals in the Jewish calendar work as a block. There's one exception. Why is this Chag, why is this festival different from all others? Chanukah. Chanukah can be on any day of the week. In other words, the first day of Chanukah can be any day of the week except for Tuesday. That's just the way that it works out. And why is it that Chanukah can be on any day of the week? Is because there are certain, let's call them tiebreakers, deal breakers um, in the Jewish calendar. And they are the months of Cheshvan and Kislev, which can have either 29 or 30 days, all the others, all the other months of the calendar are fixed to a certain number. They either have 29 or they have 30. These two tiebreakers, Cheshvan and Kislev, which is the month that we're in right now, can either have 29 or 30 days. And that means that you can adjust sometimes by a day the start time of the festival of Hanukkah, the 25th of Kislev, which started, of course, on this last Sunday night and Monday. And so there are certain shifts that we see in this Chag, in this festival. And, of course, we have one of those unique events actually happening on the Shabbos. Shabbat this week is actually the 30th day in the month of Kislev. Now, there's not always a 30th day in the month of Kislev, which also means that here is another point of where the Chag actually is different from all the others. Because all the others actually start and end on particular dates in the calendar. Did you know that Hanukkah can end either on the 2nd or on the 3rd of, Ke- of, of Tevet? We're coming into the month of Tevet, the month of Tevet, which starts on Saturday night and Sunday. It's Rosh Chodesh on Shabbos and Sunday. And we have this unique and interesting feature within the festival that it doesn't always end on the same date in the calendar. So there is something else for you to think about why it is that this Chag, this festival, is different from all the other festivals. Let's add something else here. For those of you who say your daily prayers, you will know that on the days of Hanukkah, we say the entire Hallel, the full Hallel. And the full Hallel is usually only said on a Chag, on a festival, in which we say an additional service. We say the Musaf, the Musaf prayer, the additional service. Well, Hanukkah was not at a time when um, there was a Beit HaMikdash. Um, it, it, it was, it wasn't, it's not mentioned in the Torah anywhere that we celebrate Hanukkah except cryptically. And... It is not one of the full festivals, and yet we say a full Hallel. We say the entire Hallel, complete Hallel, from beginning to end, and yet we do not say Musaf. Now, Musaf is said 
even on Rosh Chodesh, which is a weekday. So we can't use the argument that it's because it's a weekday festival. But there is something unique and something different about Hanukkah. We say the full Hallel. We do not say Musaf. We um, remember that it can be on any day of the week except for a Tuesday. It's not married to only four days of the seven-day week, as all the other Chakim are, including, by the way, Purim. And did you know, and here's one final point on why is this Chag, why is this festival different from all the other festivals, from a technical point of view, we mentioned it already in a way, and that is that Hanukkah is not mentioned in all the 24 books of what is known as the Tanakh, of our Holy Torah. Even Purim made it in there in the book of Megillat Esther, the book of Esther. Hanukkah is not part of that canonized format of our uh, Tanakh, of our Torah as we know it. It came later um, because that was kind of locked in by the men of the Great Assembly. When they locked in, they canonized everything. They put it into what was known as the Tanakh, the Holy Bible, the written part of the Torah, and here we have this incredible feature, this incredible story of Hanukkah actually happening a little bit later, and yet deemed to be a great enough festival to be celebrated year in and year out, as we do with the lighting of the menorah and all the other beautiful and wonderful things that we do. So, let's... Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Oh, it's good to see we got back to our uh, new sting. I thought we were going with the old one uh, from the beginning of the program. Um, but here we are, Judaism 101.9, and we're talking about all things to do with Hanukkah, this beautiful, beautiful festival that we're in the midst of, coming tonight up to the fourth night of Hanukkah, and believe it or not, therefore reaching kind of the halfway mark tonight on the menorah. Half the menorah will be lit from tomorrow night. We're going to start having more light on the menorah than dark, if you think about it. Isn't that really the object? And perhaps that's why the fifth night of Hanukkah, which is tomorrow evening, is kind of perceived to be sort of the turning point in Hanukkah. It's the day on which the fifth candle is lit. It's the day on which there is more light on the menorah than there is darkness. There is more lit then there is dark, and that is the whole point of Hanukkah, to push away the darkness, to get rid of anything that is dark, that's gloomy, that's depressing, that's sad, that's negative, and to make sure that we have everything from a positive perspective, except, of course, for COVID. We want everything to be positive in our lives, and a positive energy and a positive outlook and a good and kind uh, manner in which we do it all. And the menorah symbolizes that, and particularly as we reach and we bypass the halfway mark of Hanukkah. And when we think about the idea of Hanukkah, I'd like to give you something else to think about today, and that is that we all know that two wrongs don't make a right. But did we know or did you think about the fact that when it comes to Hanukkah, we actually learn an important lesson, and that is that two rights don't necessarily make a wrong. Let's think about that for a moment. Two rights don't make a wrong. What am I talking about? Well, you know that the fact is that Torah actually teaches us that you can have two rights. They can both be right. You know the old story about uh, the person who went to the rabbi for counseling. And they were having certain marital issues. And they went to the rov and the rov, the rabbi, sat and listened to them both. 
and he heard the husband and he said to him, you know, everything that you've said, you're absolutely right. And then he heard the wife and he said, everything that you've said is absolutely right. And then he said, okay, now you're free to go. And they looked at each other. They looked at the rabbi. Well, what did he tell them? He told them that they're both right and they both left the room and uh, went away. And the Rebetzin then came running in and she said, how can you do that to these people? You've told them that you told him that he's right. You told her that she's right. How could they both be right? Um, you know, like it's crazy kind of advice that you're giving everybody. And the rabbi said, you know what? You're right. You're right too. There can actually be more than one right. And we learn that profoundly from the story of Hanukkah. And perhaps it's a message of just how accepting we have to be of the fact that there are different opinions. And that doesn't mean that we are always right. And it doesn't mean that the opinions are always wrong, the others. There is something about Hanukkah that is all embracing of different opinions. Or what are we talking about? We talk particularly about the famous argument that there was between Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai about the lighting of the menorah. We're told, and there are a few things that they do definitely agree on. They agree on the fact that in order to celebrate, we need to have this Chag of Hanukkah to celebrate it for eight days. They agree on that. They agree also that we celebrate by lighting candles. But they have made it, and clearly the bracha that we make is lahat likner, to light the candle. Lighting one candle should be sufficient. If we light one candle for Hanukkah, we've done the job. We fulfilled the mitzvah. But we're told by halacha, by Jewish law, that we go in a way of mahadrin minha mahadrin. We go in the most um, beautiful fashion, the best possible fashion. That is the way that we light our menorah, that we light the menorah both on Hanukkah um, um, in, a, in a way of mahadrin minha mahadrin, the most muhudr, the most um, um, a, a, a fulfilling and the best and the most beautiful fashion. That is the way we like this menorah. And in fact, we have two opinions on this. Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai. Beit Hillel says, the house of Hillel said that we should light one candle the first night, two on the second, three on the third, and so on. And on the last night of Hanukkah, we light eight. And Beit Shammai said the exact opposite. He said, start with eight and diminish each night by one. Seven on the second night, six on the third night, and so on, until on the last night we light one. Now, Beit Shammai wasn't just trying to be clever, nor was Beit Hillel trying to be perfect, but each one of them had a different view and a different opinion. And how is that possible and why? They were great, uh, the greatest of the Torah scholars. They were the greatest of the Torah teachers. They were well-versed in everything and they understood everything and anything that perhaps you and I will never get to understand fully. They understood it in the most profound and the most beautiful fashion. How could they see these things differently? Well, one of the explanations is that Beit Hillel looked at things in practical. What has been accomplished? On the first night of Hanukkah, you accomplished one, and you've got the power of one light. On the second night, two, and so on. And there's also the obvious thing of increasing. We increase in our simcha, we increase in our joy, and we increase in our happiness. And therefore, the increase in light is something that we look forward to and that we expound upon and that we um, look at as being such an important feature and facet of this beautiful festival of Hanukkah. Beit Shammai looks at it in the opposite way. Beit Shammai says, we've got to look at potential. On the first night of Hanukkah, the potential is to fulfill the brightness of eight lights of Hanukkah. So we light eight to depict 
the potential that we have. On the second night, we have lost one already. It's gone. Whether we utilize it correctly or not is actually immaterial. We still have seven that we could do, and six and five and four and three and two and one until eventually we have no more of the potential of the Hanukkah menorah at the end of the Chag. So it's kind of like going to sleep at night and thinking about what have I accomplished versus what could I have accomplished? Which one is better? I certainly know which one is easier. It's so much easier to go to sleep at night and say what I did do rather than what I could have done. The time that I wasted, the hour that I spent doing nothing, the fact that I missed an opportunity or a number of opportunities to do good, to be kind, to do mitzvahs, to get stuck and to do whatever, it's much more difficult to follow the Shammai kind of view, much easier to follow the Hillel one, and perhaps that's why. Our sages made it that it is something that is fulfillable, it is doable, it is gettable. It is something that we can do. We can light and we can understand this idea of increasing and looking at what we have accomplished. And it's a beautiful, beautiful and wonderful positive mindset. Now, that's not to say that Beit Shammai was negative, but Beit Shammai was looking at potential. Can we really say that one is right and the other is wrong? Truly not. The idea of the fact and the fact of the matter is we've got to have a modus operandi. We've got to have a way that we perform and we do this mitzvah and our sages chose that we should do it according to Beit Hillel. But Beit Shammai was not wrong. They're definitely not wrong. The fact that there is a different opinion just means that we need to be a little bit more accepting of a different opinion. And in a way, then, the lights of the menorah is one of these real uniting kind of ideals and methodologies and practices that we do, where we really, really bear in mind that we unite and we respect all kinds of different opinions. The view of Beit Shammai is not wrong. The view of Beit Hillel is not the only one that is actually right. It is the way we perform the mitzvah. But we've got to remember that both can be right. There can be two rights, and they certainly doesn't mean that one of them is wrong. Two rights do not make a wrong. Let's also think about the Maccabim, the Maccabees. You know, it's kind of underplayed in a way the idea of the Maccabees, of the fact that there are, there was this uh, band of Yeshiva Bachrim of uh, really, really religious, devoutly religious Jews who uh, rose up against what it was that the Assyrian Greeks, um, the Seleucids as they were known, um, came with their Hellenization program to try and tell us that there was no real idea of godliness or God or spirituality or soul in this world and that everything was physical. Everything was material. Everything was to be taken in a literal, down-to-earth kind of a sense. And this is what they tried to impose upon everybody and stamp out <clears throat> the great threat against Judaism, per se, and against God. And everything that God wanted us to do on earth was changed, was taken away from uh, in their philosophy, needed to be taken away from us. And this is what they did. The Maccabim rose up in a fight against them, managed to chase them out. Then we have this triumph of the few over the many. Well, we do uh, spend a tremendous amount of time lighting the menorah and dancing around the menorah and thinking about things to do with the Hanukkah oil and so on, even with the foods that we eat. But what about the Maccabees? What about these individuals who banded together a small band of men who managed to thwart the onslaught of a huge, huge marauding army. They called themselves, or they were known as the Maccabim. Maccabim. 
and perhaps it's borrowed in a uh, kind of a cynical fashion by the Maccabi uh, in terms of the Maccabi, Maccabi games and so on. But in fact, the word Maccabi comes from the words that we say in our daily prayers. Mi kamocha ba'ilim Hashem. Who is like you amongst all the others? Um, then our own one and only God it is lauding and praising Hashem. And it's all about their kind of adherence to the mitzvahs in the strictest sense. The fact that they would only go for Mahadran, Mina Mahadran and everything that they did. That they wanted to do for everything in the best possible fashion. And just because of their great tenacity and their great adherence and their great observance. And perhaps some would say their fanatical, um, in inverted commas, adherence to everything um, without any of the sinister connotations of that word they wanted to do everything properly and purely and well and the best and that was why they would only accept the oil that had the heksha that had the seal of the kohen godel and this is why we actually had this chag this festival and the word chanukah comes from the word not only of Rededication, because they were able to rededicate the temple by Chanukat Hamidbeach, but it's also got to do with Chinuch. Chinuch meaning education. They taught us about the purity of education, about the purity of how we are supposed to educate our children. That not only do we need to educate children, each one according to his means and capabilities and make sure that no child is left behind in the education process and system, but we've also got to give them the purity of education, just like that pure olive oil was the best and the only one that they were prepared to accept in the menorah. So too, Chanukah, the Chinuch, the educational side, not only of this festival, but of everything we do in our lives, is what will truly bring light to the world, what will truly bring a, uh, a beautiful, beautiful spiritual and energetic light and energized light to make sure that um, the darkness of an otherwise difficult and troublesome and troubled and leaderless, it would seem, world is actually something that we can do something about. Perhaps it is in this time of COVID that we have thought about this the most. The things that we thought we could control, we certainly have no control over. The things that we thought that we could uh, do and we could plan for, well, you just realized that you can't. And to recognize just the power and the importance of having God in your lives and understanding that Hashem, that God, Almighty God, is the one who controls everything ultimately. But there are certain things that we can do. And one of the things that we can do is each night of Hanukkah, we can light the Hanukkah. We can light the menorah. We can light the candles. And we can create light. And step by step, we can push away this darkness. We do have a certain power. We may not be able to change the minds of governments to let our citizens in or sometimes out. We may not be able to change the path and the swathe of difficulty that COVID has brought to the world. But we can certainly push away negativity. We can push away darkness. We can push it away step by step, light by light, day by day and night by night with this beautiful Chag, this beautiful festival of Hanukkah by sticking to what is right and what is important and what it is truly all about for us as observant Jews. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So every night when we light the Hanukkah menorah, we're supposed to spend some time 
closely observing the candles. We're supposed to sit at the menorah. We're supposed to look at the lights. In fact, we say it clearly in the Hanero Talalu, in the prayer that we say immediately after we have lit the candles. We say Hanero Talalu. These are the candles that we have lit. And we say there, we do not have rashut, we do not have permission, to use them, except lirotam, just to observe them, to look at them. We do not have permission to use the light. We should not be doing anything by the candlelight, but it is one of the reasons why we light the shamas, why we have the extra candle. Um, over and above, and usually it should be on a different level. It needs to be higher, perhaps, than all the other lights so that you can see the difference. That is the one that in case we use that light, we are not going against this rule that we're not allowed to benefit in any way from the lights other than to gaze at them, other than to observe them, and to remember the great miracles that they represent. The previous Lubavitcher ever said that we should listen carefully to what the candles are saying. I don't know about your candles, but mine didn't speak to me that loudly um, last night or the night before that, perhaps they will tonight. But what he really meant was these flames are telling us a story. And these flames are telling us a story, not only a story of history, of something to look back on, of something to reflect upon, of something to remember, of stuff that happened then, but perhaps some important stories of our lives, things that we're supposed to be doing each and every day and looking forward to as well. I'd like to make the following suggestions. Number one, is the menorah and the Hanukkah lights tell us never to be afraid to stand up for what is right? Yehuda Maccabee, Judah Maccabee and his men, they faced the most impossible odds, but that didn't stop them. With prayer on their lips, with understanding what it was really all about in their souls and in their hearts, they went into the battle against the Assyrian Greeks, and they won. They triumphed. We have the ability to do the same. We take a look outside at a daunting, difficult program, at a difficult world, at all sorts of things that seem to be stacked against us, whether we're talking about anti-Semitism, we're talking about the naysayers against our holy land, against Israel, we're talking about things that are stacked up, or seemingly stacked up against us, we too can triumph. If we have the right connections from a spiritual point of view, if we pray to God, if we recognize God's power, if we ask Hashem to help us and to intercede from on high, if we think about um, how much faith we can muster and we do have intrinsically within our souls, we can be successful and we too can win that battle in that way. So the flames tell us that story. The flames also tell us about the idea of increasing. We mentioned that already. To increase in goodness, to increase in kindness, to increase in Torah observance and performance of mitzvahs, to increase in Torah learning. And sure, a single flame was good enough for yesterday, but today we need to make sure that things are even better. I've got to do more today than I did yesterday. I've got to do more tomorrow than I'm going to do today. And then, of course, the time 
old message of a little light that goes a tremendous distance. It goes a long way. The candles are lit when it is starting to get dark. And there in the doorway of your home or in the window or outside into facing towards the street, it is a beacon of light. It's like a lighthouse kind of effect that it's uh, glowing in the dark, warning off anything negative, but at the same time, remembering that in this darkness, this little bit of light can transform the darkness itself into light. It changes things around. It not only warns off those who may be approaching with a sinister motive, but it reminds everybody of the great and wondrous, wondrous miracles that Hashem will do and has done in the past and will do in the future for us. And in this way, this little bit of light sends away the darkness it sends darkness packing and it makes sure that there is no such thing as darkness anymore in an otherwise beautiful, wonderful and lit world. We'll be back with you right after this to sum up. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. As we said just before the break, uh, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe spoke about the fact that we must listen carefully to what the candles are saying. We need to listen to their messages. We mentioned a few points. Number one is never be afraid to stand up for what is right. Number two, increase in matters of goodness and kindness and Torah values on a daily basis. Keep on increasing. What was good enough for today is not good enough for tomorrow. We've got to remember that a little bit of light can dispel a tremendous amount of darkness. And then fourthly, let's take the idea of taking it to the streets. In other words, Hanukkah is a unique festival in that its primary mitzvah is observed in public. It's not enough to be a Jew at heart or, as COVID has taught us, to be a Jew at home. It is important that we publicize, that we go outside, that we put it in our windows, that we put it on the street, and we make sure that people around us um, – are brought into this light and that it is something that benefits them as well. That not only do they observe and that they can recognize these great and wonderful miracles, as is the mitzvah of Hanukkah, but that it actually is something that they too can buy into and they can bask in that light, share it, and make sure that it stands them in good stead as well. And finally, we should not ever be ashamed to perform mitzvahs. To do something um, in a way of a mitzvah and to show it off outwardly, Outside, You know, one of the things that anti-Semitism around the world has driven, has made people afraid of, is to do a mitzvah in public. And God forbid that we should fear the fact that we go outside and perhaps we're a yarmulke, or we stand up in public for what is right and what is good. And the rabbis of Chabad went out of their way to encourage that no one should be ashamed, that no one should feel um, that they have to apologize for the performance of a mitzvah. And Hanukkah persuades us in that direction as well. It makes sure that we publicize, that we're proud, that we can stand proud and say, here we are. We're Jewish and we're proud. We're creating light and we're proud. We're going out there and we're performing a mitzvah to show how wonderful our Judaism actually is, how proud we are of the connection we have and how much we value the light that we can shed and the light that we can share. And so let's be proud and let's listen to those messages and let's listen to the candle lights each night that remains of Hanukkah. And let's remember all these wonderful messages of Hanukkah and hopefully they too will help to spread the great and wonderful light that Hanukkah is truly all about. I want to wish you a great Shabbat up ahead, a great Chodesh up ahead. Remember that Shabbat and Sunday is Rosh Chodesh Tevis. We're going to a brand new month. I want to wish you well for those 
um, eventualities, those things. And please, God, look forward to being back with you same time, same place next week on another exciting show of Judaism 101.9.